everyone. Welcome to Spark, this wonderful Easter afternoon. We're so glad you're here. Uh, Maybe some of you, this is your second service, or if you were a sunrise person, it's like your third service today. Or if you're a pastor of 25 years and you're like, sweet, afternoon, Sunday, (laughs) woohoo. It's like the, I remember getting up at the crack of dawn, even as a child, for wonderful sunrise Easter services, and it was always a little bit cold and lots of fun and special and meaningful. So I, I love that too, but I'm also thankful to sleep in um, every once in a while and enjoy a fun brunch and, and fun time with family this morning. So thank you all for that. And should I stand by a little technical difficulty here? So um, I wanted to invite you all to continue to join us over the next coming weeks. We have some special guest speakers who are going to be coming um, as Pastor Kevin and I lead a study tour to Israel beginning. We'll be um, leaving on Tuesday. So if you would please keep us in prayer. And if you are the praying type and would be interested in partnering with us, um, I'd be happy if you would just send me an email to give you the names of each of the individuals that are traveling so that you can be praying for us specifically um, by name as we go there together. We remain in the middle of our series called This Is Our Story. And as we've been here um, at Spark and um, engaging in what these key anchor points of our story are throughout all of our biblical texts, sort of those things that you want to make sure that your kids know, right? Those family stories that that you want to make sure everyone knows um, that you've made sure to spread that truth around in your family. And this is what our continued story is today. Yes, even on this wonderful Easter Sunday. The title of our message today is, This Changes Everything. Everything has changed. And what is this at this moment? Well, it's exactly the passages that were recited just up until this moment. That he has risen. That that Easter Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb. And they found that he was not there. And in fact, then met him. Not He was no longer in the grave in the tomb, but met him face to face again. And I, I saw one of like the memes going around the internet this week said, if you want to have a really biblical Easter worship service, it should be at sunrise and it should be women leading and proclaiming the resurrection because it was the women that then heard that message and they were the apostles to the apostles, the sent ones to the sent ones. And the men were, of course, hiding and the upper, sleeping in on a Sunday, like I do. Um, so this moment changes everything. The Apostle Paul knows this moment too. It changed everything for him. But on the other side of this event, if you'll recall, the Apostle Paul, also known as Shaul and Paulus, many people at that time had more than one name that they operated in. They had their sort of Hebrew name and their Greco-Roman name. The idea that um, God changed Saul's name to Paul is not actually in our text. It's a nice story um, that we tell, but it's, um, there's no biblical evidence of that. So if I've just, Anne, if I've just ruined Chris Easter for you, there we go. I've got like one little shout out for Anne. Uh, she said I ruined Christmas for her earlier, so I'll just ruin the Apostle Paul too. So the Apostle Paul um, has this moment where he is just absolutely convicted that he must start to persecute the followers of the way. That the initial followers of Jesus who are proclaiming the resurrection, who are continuing to walk into the the house of God every morning, and as they're going to go pray, they'll stop and they'll see someone and say, "I I don't have silver and gold, but what I have I'll give you. Rise up in the name of Jesus and walk. Those followers of the way, the Apostle Paul, 
has decided that they must be persecuted, that they're a a rabid, heretical Jewish fringe group, and he is angry about it. That Apostle Paul that stood there and gave approval to the stoning of Stephen, um, that Apostle Paul who held the coats as everyone picked up their stone, he says this in 1 Corinthians 15, again, what we just read a little bit earlier. For what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, to Peter, and to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, this is Jesus' brother, Yaakov, Jacob, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also, Paul says, as one abnormally born. Because he was not one of the first followers of Jesus. He was not the 12. He was not walking along. In fact, when he meets Jesus, he only meets the resurrected Jesus. He only knows and meets Jesus on this side of history. Not that Jesus, he was not there on that dark Friday. He was not in the garden on that Monday, Thursday, trying to stay awake and falling asleep as the Romans came. He wasn't there on that silent Saturday, where they all hid and watched their world fall apart. And he wasn't there at the first proclamation and understanding the experience of the resurrected Jesus. He met Jesus while he was on his way to go and persecute more followers of the way. He meets the resurrected person of Jesus Christ. And in that moment, everything's changed. He said, but if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? See, he only knows the resurrected Jesus. So if there's somebody else out there who's saying, well, no, Jesus didn't really rise. Paul only knows the resurrected Jesus. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. God. For we have testified that God, that God, that God raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him. In fact, if the dead are not raised, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. See, Paul knows the centrality of the resurrection, that this more than anything else is exactly why he has faith in Jesus. He does not have faith in Jesus because he liked what Jesus said at that wonderful sermon on the Mount by the Sea of Galilee. He might have liked it, but that's not what transformed him. He doesn't have faith in Jesus because he heard a convincing sermon or message or experience by one of the followers of Jesus following that Holy Sunday. He has faith in Jesus because he has experienced the resurrection himself, the resurrected Jesus himself. And if he doesn't have that, he doesn't have his faith. Everything changed in that moment. This changes everything. This Easter, this resurrection day, it does indeed change everything. Now, I think that's a really bold statement because regularly we'll hear people say, it changed everything for me. It literally changed everything. I had this moment and then I saw this blouse and it changed everything, right? Like we have these moments where, where um, you know, life-altering Oreo dunking technique, this changes everything. Um, how to freeze an avocado, this changes everything. Like all of a sudden those big bags of avocado that you're tempted to buy, but then they all ripen all at once. 
and then you can't eat them all. It changes everything. There's apparently a way, right? So people claim these things all the time that I have something that can change everything for you. But indeed, this is the one truth that can and should change your life. The resurrection. This victory over death. Now, in my home right now, I regularly have this song playing in my experience. All day long, every day, about 45 times. Now, my daughter has not yet seen the song, the, the movie. She's seen clips with Daddy. And so she has morphed this song together with her favorite animal, which is a cat. So they play Star Wars Kitty. And Daddy causes Phoebe to, she's like in a jet fighter. She's with the Rebel Alliance. And, um, and goes through, and Star Wars Kitty goes. And so immediately in that moment, I can just hear from any point in my house, can we play Star Wars? She wants music without the words. Uh, when we were at the dentist's last week, the toy she picked out was the magic kit because it had a baton in it so she could conduct the orchestra playing Star Wars in our home, right? This is exactly what she's hoping for. And as she's started to enjoy the story a little bit and the small details that Kevin starts to feed out to her every once in a while, and can I please watch the Starfighters again? Can I watch what's Tatooine? She's got a whole thing for it. In all of that, I think she recognizes that in this big world that we're in, now this is a lot for a four-year-old, but I'm telling you, she asked me these big questions, that she's part of a story. She's part of a story that we are continuing to tell. And so she has also started to play this type of music. You know, it's like all of a sudden, she came home from school the other day, and she's like, Mommy, all I had to do was say, dun, dun, da, da, to this one kid on the playground. And they knew the whole song. Like, she was excited. She found somebody else that can do the Imperial March. And she understands that there is power in this world, that there's an empire at work. And I think the Apostle Paul and the early followers of Jesus also experienced empire. They also had, as Pilate, as Caiaphas, as Caesar would come to town, this sort of Imperial March sound that made sense that, like, now you know that Darth Vader is here. Now, she also does know because in that first one, she's got, she's got the soundtrack. She just listens over and over again. It says Darth Vader's death. So she asked me a lot of questions about this. She asked me questions like, why did Darth Vader have to die? I'm like, sweetheart, it's a story that somebody wrote. They thought this would be a good plot point, right? So like, we have to explain that Darth Vader's not a real person. So we have to go through the whole, like, why did he die? You guys can all have this conversation with her when we allow her to see the movie in about 10 years. So she has this whole big moment. And she'll ask me all these questions, and she'll say, well, but Darth Vader stayed dead. I'm like, yes, in the story, he stays dead. Remember, it's a pretend story. He's an actor on the stage. Like, it's like how it works. And she's like, yes, yes. But... Jesus isn't on the cross anymore. Yes. So Darth Vader stayed dead, but Jesus didn't stay. You see, we're very confused in our home. We've already started to mush all of our stories together. But yet, when she wires her cross, and I have not told her this. She's like, Jesus isn't here anymore because he didn't stay dead. Darth Vader stayed dead, she told me yesterday, because Darth Vader's not God. That's right. 
Does anyone else have children that ask them these crazy questions? Like at 9 o'clock at night when you're trying to put them down, right? Did Darth Vader stay dead? Darth Vader did not say all of these things, right? So these are the questions I'm regularly getting from the four-year-old. Why did Jesus have to die? When are we going to die? Where is heaven? What is it like when we go there? Can we take our house with us and will our dogs be there? I'm like, you don't want a house upgrade? Like this, no, I want the same house. She likes home. She wants the exact same thing. Uh, Can we all go there at the same time? Can we all go at once? I try to explain that I've not been there yet and I don't know a lot of these details. I thought about showing her like this really, you know, old fashioned schism of like how this sort of all works. I'm sort of really not comfortable with any of this anymore anyway. And she has instead suggested that we just ask Siri. And if we just ask Siri, that Siri will be able to tell us where heaven is, uh, what happens after we die. What in truth I continue to tell her is the story of today. The story that does indeed change everything. The reason why I have any of this hope and the reason why I can give her any sort of response other than, you know, dirt and worms and the end of a story, right, is because I believe in the resurrection, because I've had an experience with the resurrected person of Jesus Christ, because it did indeed change everything. Now, when I most recently, like, saw the the last Star Wars movie that I've seen, I was still a pastor. It was some, I think there's been subsequent ones out, I've not seen them all. Um, I don't, I'm sorry. You'll have to educate me. I just, I just have, have had a small child. Uh, thank you. But I saw the one where we find out Anakin, right? So I went home that night, fell asleep and had a belief, like a dream belief in my head that I had tried to help Anakin not choose the dark side and stay into the light and lead him to the person of Jesus Christ. Because that's what I do in my dream life. It's like, I'm so upset about poor Anakin and his conflicted thing because I still believe, even for Anakin, that this news changes everything, right? That we're all part of this story and that God is telling us something deeply beautiful. Now, the story starts very simply in many ways. It starts with a baby. It starts in a cradle. And it starts with words that we like to put very clearly on big T-shirts and on signs at football stadiums. For God so loved the world. And this is where I start the story with my daughter, too. And this is the story I want you all to know. That for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. That we are not sinners in the hands of an angry God. We are sinners in the hands of a loving God. That God so loved us. He did not come, did not send his son, Emmanuel, Christ with us so that we would be condemned, but instead to be rescued and saved. And the gospel, John, continues, because whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Now, growing up with this verse and in our community at large, this verse has very much speaks to like our personal salvation, doesn't it? Even though it says, for God so loved the world, he didn't actually name anyone specifically individually here, right? You're included. It's just not all about you. That's all. So, uh, or me. Um, So God so loved the world and all of us, but we've looked at this and said, okay, in my belief system, if I come to Jesus, if I run to Jesus, I can start to experience tastes of this resurrection in here and the now. The Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, he is the head of the Church of England. He tells a story about how his faith very simply changed in a moment like this. I'm back in Cambridge, 
back to the days where, obviously I worked very hard, but I did spend a lot of time on the river rowing. I last coxed about 40 years ago. If you believe in prayer, I suggest you say one now. Are you ready? Go! Nick Hills and I were students together at Cambridge, and we recently met to visit the college we were both at and take a talk. Hi, Nick. Hello, Justin. Very nice to see you after <laughs> so you. long. We headed over to Nick's room in one year when he was at college. A transforming moment happened, a life-changing moment. May, may I go in? Yes, of we go. Why don't you lead the way? All right. Because you used to live here. Thank you very much for letting us no disturb you. You're very kind. We came back here, yeah, I think, fun. about 10-ish. On October the 12th, 1975, just before midnight, that having spent time talking and sharing, speaking together, and I realised that I was a point of decision about life, and my life was going to go one of two ways. And I prayed a very simple prayer, saying, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I don't know anything about you, but come into my life. And he came in, something changed and has stayed changed from then on with all the ups and downs and me trying to run away and good times in, the li in my life and really bad ones. And that started with you just as another undergraduate very simply encouraging me to look at who Jesus was. I, I just can't imagine how different my life would have been. That's the extraordinary thing. Well, the next morning you gave me this Bible. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you, Cambridge, 1975. That was the verse that was the page that was open when I became Archbishop of Canterbury, when I was installed at Canterbury Cathedral in the St. Augustine copy of the Gospels that St. Augustine bought with him in 597. They said, do you want it open anywhere in particular? I said, yes, John 15, 16, from that moment. Isn't that extraordinary? That's terrific. It's a beautiful Bible. I've used it for years yes, and years I, and years. I exactly like it, and uh, I use it also day by day. So we have this moment that changed everything, this very deeply personal moment where just simply the mere encouragement to invite Jesus to come, it changed everything in that moment. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. But you see, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, he didn't let this moment that changed the entire course of his life just simply rescue him. He is quite well known for his deep care and concern for the stranger, for the refugee, for the orphan, for women, for issues of injustice in our world, for the poor, for finding all of this. He is very deeply committed, not only to seeing that rescue and that resurrection moment happen in his own life, that just from that one mere conversation, something in him changed and stayed changed. In that one encouragement and conversation, in that one dorm room, that small moment that brings us now to the head of the Church of England. But the head of the Church of England that is constantly encouraging the people in that church to do good. Because 
He appointed us that we might go and bear fruit. Not just so that that one resurrection moment stays right here and benefits only us. That only we are saved, but that it goes out. Because indeed, that resurrection moment, it does indeed change everything. You see, John 3.16 continues. It doesn't just stop with that verse. It's, this is the verdict. The light has come into the world, but people loved the world, loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who hates, who does evil, hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. It deeply matters how we live. Because otherwise, the resurrection is of no use. If it's just saving you and me, then it's not enough. It's bigger than that moment. That is good. It's just not supposed to stop there. See, Jesus indeed changes everything. Charles Finney knew this. Charles Finney, a preacher, lawyer turned then into a preacher, revivalist of 1792 to 1875. Charles Finney was known for these crazy, amazing revivals that he would lead. And he would have all of these people come. And they were known for their passionate um, encouragement for people to come and be saved. And yet he did not believe only in that personal repentance of that personal sin. But he also believed that everyone that came, everyone who claimed to be born again, must also start to repent of societal, cultural, institutional, interpersonal, and individual sins. He believed in all of that. Finney declared that it was responsibility of born-again Christians to press for the political change that would guarantee all women and all African Americans the same civil rights that men enjoyed. To the faithful, to be faithful to scripture, This is what Finney would argue constantly. Christians should work for the kinds of changes in economic and political institutions that would ensure the equality of people, regardless of race, nationality, and gender. His was a holistic gospel message. You see, Finney's experience with the Holy Spirit didn't stay only with him. It pushed out into the community. And there's so many of us today, we don't know this part of our church history. We don't know that the abolition movement, that the equality movement, that the suffrage movement began in churches. It began in places where people read verses like this in Galatians. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you all one are Christ. You are all one in Christ Jesus. People read those verses and they started to believe them. And they started to believe that as a result of the resurrection, as a result of the resurrected power that they had experienced in the person of Jesus Christ, as a result of the good news that's found in Romans 6, it says that when Christ died, it is as though in our baptism, we too have died and we are now being brought back to life again, to live a new, a transformed life as new creations, that we are to live differently and to bring in that hope, that resurrection hope into our world. Because as we've mentioned, without women preachers, we would have no knowledge of the resurrection to begin with. So Finney was the president of Oberlin College, which was the first college in the United States to educate women and men side by side and blacks and whites. He was known as well as many other Christians in this time 
known for their pressuring to the abolition of slavery and for the suffrage movement. These meetings held in churches. In fact, the people that would go to Finney's revivals were known as firebrands because they were so fiery. They were passionate about a particular cause, typically inciting change and taking radical action. And the seed of that passionate concern for the other was found in their own experience with the resurrected person of Jesus. Oberlin College, by the way, ended up becoming one of the primary stations on the Underground Railroad. And as people would move from the south to the north and up to Canada, they would stop in the chapel at Oberlin College and see and experience the resurrected power that is found in the person of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel that we are all part of. And yet today, I wonder if our church is not beset by amnesia regarding the gospel. What truly is the good news of the person of Jesus? Is it simply that you have all, as a result of the resurrection, as a result of the fact that death has, has lost its sting and its victory, that you've gotten your own personal golden ticket to God's heavenly amusement park in the sky, and you and I all just get to go there and literally, quite literally, to hell with everybody else. Because that is not the gospel. The gospel is more. It is better. It is richer. It is deeper. It does indeed change everything, not just you, not just me, not just where we get to go. But where we are right now, I'm concerned that because we have lost the power of the resurrection in our lives, that we may have lost our way. That instead we find ourselves turning to violence, racism, sexism, abuse of the poor, contempt for the stranger, and an arrogant cynicism toward even the miraculous. When we can no longer hold out hope, for change, for resurrection, for a new life, for a shift, that something can be different tomorrow than it is today. We've lost the power of our resurrection hope. We are the church. We are the ones to proclaim the good news that all of us are one in Christ Jesus. And we are to be agents of that good gospel news in this world. Our neighbor stands at the center of our gospel message. Our neighbor and even those we would consider our enemies. Jesus' teachings on this are very clear. Love God. Love your neighbor. And even love your enemy. And even unto death on the cross, what does Jesus say? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. This is the resurrection message. Now here at Spark, we have five core values. Love reputation of God, reconciliation, rescue, and resurrection. And I think for many of us who get a little bit uncomfortable with churchy language, and I totally get it, and we're always not quite sure how to answer the questions our kids are answering because we don't, we know there's something wrong with the way that we've answered it with pat, shallow answers, with um, maybe atonement theologies that just aren't quite working for us anymore. Is there really an angry God? It's just trying to take us all out. But the good news is he loves you. <laughs> if you just make this prayer, like, I mean, it's, it gets a little bit complicated. And so for a lot of us, what we do is we just like to hang on to that one value, love. And it becomes easy. And we talk about it. It's like, I'm going to love you and I'm going to love you. And this is how we're going to love and we're going to love each other. But the reality is it's quite difficult, isn't it? But I'd like to suggest that it's not 
only love is the centrality of command that we are deeply loved by God and that we are invited to love God back and to be in that loving relationship with one another and creation as well. But I'd like to suggest that really the core value that's the foundation that makes all of these other values possible is the resurrection. Because without this life that we now have, that we now experience on Easter Sunday morning, we don't get the for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. We don't get the through the cross We've been given the ministry of reconciliation one unto another, that Christ has reconciled us unto the Father, and that we now have that ministry of reconciliation because of the cross and the resurrection. Because of the resurrection, we can say to the world that the reputation of God is still intact, that God has been victorious over death, over punishment, over sin, that there is hope, that if you have done something wrong, like in the last five minutes, there is hope. There is hope here. That there is hope in the rescue of this world. That there is hope in the reconciliation of this world. Oh, death, where is your victory? Where, oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is through the resurrection, the hope that there is something more. To come, yes, but also that there is something in the right now that we are all invited to, that there is new life in the right now, that the change can happen right now. And I think this is the simple invitation that we find in Jesus. Simply ask, simply question, simply invite and see if there's more than just Good Friday in your life and a long, dark Saturday, can there also be room for the resurrection hope that's found on Sunday? We all have that mantra, like you only live once, right? So we have to get it all in now. We have to do this life now. We have to just squeeze it all in. But in Jesus, we don't have the you only live once, do we, right? (laughs) You don't only live once. YOLO, JK, be right back, right? That in Jesus, there is life and life to come. And there is more than this moment that there is resurrection hope. This indeed changes everything. The resurrection breaks through the sky. This is an ancient view of how the Hebrews thought of the world. Sheol and the deep below, the ancient Hebrews, foundations of heaven and the sea, the earth, the mountains, the clouds, and the waters above the heavens in Hebrew, the, the word for water in Hebrew is maim. The word for heavens in Hebrew is shamaim. The word for there is sham. So it's like water's there, sham maim. So we've got water's here and then the water's there, the heavens, shamaim. And they believed that there was sort of like this, like a, the thing you strain spaghetti through, flip it upside down, stand inside of it. Colander, right? Windows breaking through. 
And it reminds me constantly every Easter, my favorite Easter hymn done by that wonderful church group, you 2 I'm just joking, of course. But they have that beautiful song, Window in the Skies, and you need to go home and you need to listen to it. And you need to pay attention to the lyrics. Window in the skies that can't you see what love has done? Can't you see that love has done this thing? And the, the song starts with, the stone has been moved. The grave is now a groove. All debts are removed. Can't you see what love has done? And can't you see what it's doing to me? It has opened a window in the sky. This resurrection morning has broken life into this world. And it continues to invite us in. And I'd like to invite each one of us now, as we continue to worship, that we would come to the table and we would again partake in the death and the burial and the resurrection. That in the same way after supper, Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. And whenever you drink it, drink in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The death and the resurrection. The death that brought all other death to its knees. And the resurrection hope that that follows. And as you come, and wherever you are on your journey, hardcore believer, angry skeptic, I'm looking at you. I'm just joking. Um, In all of that, all of that spread, everyone is welcome to this table. This is the radical welcome in Jesus. All are welcome here. And as we partake, we can say, thank you. We can say, give me hope. We can say, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. We can simply just partake. And in this moment, my invitation to each one of us in this room, my deep hope and prayer is that we will take and grab hold of the life that we can find, this resurrection life that's found in the person of Jesus. Come, the table is ready. All who are thirsty, come and drink. All who are hungry, come. Jesus is here for you.